All right, if you would take your Bibles and turn with me to Psalm 119. Psalm 119. We're going to extend just a little our break from the book of Exodus and try to capitalize on this season of the year when uh, many of you are making resolutions about the new year and, and beginning to establish some rhythms for life in the upcoming year, well, the year that is at this point upon us. Um, I shared with you back during the Christmas holidays and even during Thanksgiving that I'm a little bit of a Scrooge. But there is a holiday, that I, a time of the year, a season that I really appreciate and enjoy, and it's the new year. There's something about newness. There's a promise of newness in the gospel. We are a new creation in Christ. There are new mercies every morning for us. And the new year helps us to sort of establish this frame of mind in which all things are new in a very real sense. And you're resolving and saying, I'm going to do this this year. I'm going to do this this year. Hopefully, you're establishing some spiritual resolutions for yourself in the upcoming year. So I want to take the next few weeks and to talk through what some of those resolutions might look like and, and build on what's a natural part of, of this time of the year in many of your lives and encourage some good, healthy patterns for life in the new year to help us to labor to be brought near to Jesus. This morning, I want us to talk about Bible intake or Bible reading. I'll talk in general about Bible intake because our consumption of the Word of God ought to be more than just reading. It ought to be the study of God's Word. It ought to be the memorization of God's Word. Immersing ourselves in the Word of God is essential for growth and for sanctification. And I hope that you'll build that into your new year, to the rhythm of life that you'll find yourself in over the course of the next weeks and months. We're going to look this morning at Psalm 119, verses 89 and following. Just a small portion of the longest chapter in the Bible. A chapter that is focused on the glory and the power, the sufficiency, and the goodness of God's holy word. If you found your way to Psalm 119, verse number 89, I'd like to invite you to stand out of respect and honor for the reading of God's word. Psalm 119, beginning in verse number 89. The Bible says, Lord, your word is forever. It is firmly fixed in heaven. Your faithfulness is for all generations. You establish the earth and it stands firm. They stand today in accordance with your judgments, for all things are your servants. If your instruction had not been my delight, I would have died in my affliction. I will never forget your precepts, for you've given me life through them. I am yours. Save me, for I have sought your precepts. The wicked hope to destroy me, but I contemplate your decrees. I have seen a limit to all perfection, but your command is without limit. How I love your instruction. It is my meditation all day long. Your commands make me wiser than my enemies, for they're always with me. I have more insight than all my teachers because your decrees are my meditation. I understand more than the elders because I obey your precepts. I've kept my feet from every evil path to follow your word. I've not turned from your judgments, for you yourself have instructed me. 
How sweet your word is to my taste, sweeter than honey in my mouth. I gain understanding from your precepts, therefore I hate every false way. Your word is a lamp for my feet and a light for my path. I have solemnly sworn to keep your righteous judgments. I am severely afflicted. Lord, give me life through your word. Lord, please accept my willing offering of praise and teach me your judgments. My life is constantly in danger, yet I don't forget your instruction. The wicked have set a trap for me, but I've not wandered from your precepts. I have your decrees as a heritage forever. Indeed, they are the joy of my heart. I am resolved to obey your statutes to the very end. Would you join me in prayer? Father, this morning we thank you for your word, for its power, for its authority, for the manner in which it reveals you to us, for its sufficiency, Lord. Your word is enough. It is food and nourishment for our soul. We thank you for its saving power. We have been born again by imperishable seed through the word of God. Father, we thank you for the promise that the preaching of your word, the open proclamation of your word does not return void, but has its intended effect in the hearts of your people and in the world. God, we pray that you'd be pleased through the preaching of your word to do a great work in our hearts today. God, that you would grant us the tools necessary that we might find food for our soul, not just as we gather as a corporate assembly, but with each day as we open your word and hear from heaven. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. And you may be seated. If the typical Sunday morning sermon is to feed the people fish, then the next few weeks ought to be considered as teaching the people how to fish. It is, it is not sufficient that we would hear about or from God's Word but once a week. What we need is the daily nourishment of our soul through the consumption of God's Word. To hear from God's Word on a daily basis. And to have what we know of God's Word enlightened in our heart throughout the course of every day as we walk in the fullness of God's Holy Spirit. What I'm commending to you today is a, a pattern of reading the Bible that keeps you in the Word of God, not just from Lord's Day to Lord's Day, but every day to every day. That every day that passes in the new year, you would spend time reading God's Word. I hope this is the kind of resolution that you've already established for yourself, that you've already begun in your personal walk with Jesus. But for those for whom this is somewhat foreign, I want you to know that God intends that every day of our life be spent in the constant meditation of His Word. And I want you to know that there is power in the Word of God, both for our salvation and for our sanctification. This book will either keep you from sin, or sin will keep you from this book. 
The psalmist said, I have hidden your word in my heart in order that I might not sin against you. The psalmist recognizes what I hope that you'll see this morning, that there is a power in the word of God that saves and sanctifies the sinner from our sinful ways. In 1 Peter chapter 2 Verses 1 through 3, the Bible says, Therefore, laying aside all malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and all evil, speaking as newborn babes, desire the pure milk of the word that you may grow thereby, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is gracious. Peter says, you are being sanctified, you are being kept from sin, you are growing in the grace and understanding of Jesus Christ through the reading and understanding of God's word. In John 8, Jesus says, he who is of God hears God's word. He is a true believer who hears God's word and keeps God's word. In Psalm 40 and 8, the Bible says, I delight to do thy will, O God. Your law is within my heart. There's a gladness, a joy about doing what God would have for us to do. Now, Christian folk ought to be characterized by discipline, which is just another way of saying self-control. Because self-control is one of the fruits of the Spirit. We ought, as Christian people, to have self-control built into our life, a certain degree of discipline built into our life. But I want you to know that I know what many of our lives look like. I know what your life looks like because it looks like mine. And some of us, some days, are just surviving. In other words, we're just trying to check all of the boxes for that day and make it home alive and to get in bed at a reasonable time and survive our children. That's what we're trying to do most days. We're just getting through. So so the disciplines that we're going to talk about for the next few weeks, if you don't build these in again to the rhythm of your life, if they are not a customary part of what you do on an everyday basis, they'll be the very disciplines that are neglected first in your experience. See, the the deception of the devil is to draw you away in your busyness from the very things that are the most important, the very things that you need the absolute most. Don't we experience this in our life? When a person experiences some hardship, some loss in their life, there's an inclination to withdraw from the fellowship of the church. Where do you think that comes from? What do you think that you need the most? You need the fellowship and the support and the encouragement of the church. When your schedule is especially hectic, when you have an extraordinarily busy day, the first thing that will go for you is prayer and the reading of God's Word. Now, where do you think that comes from? What do you think you need the most in order to enjoy power, energy, vigor in your life on that day and an efficiency that goes well beyond your natural ability to accomplish the task at hand? You need time and fellowship with God. You need the power of God's word in operation in your personal life. I'm telling you this morning, money back guarantee, the reading of God's word is good. It is profitable. It is essential in your life as a follower of Jesus to be all that God would have for you to be. It is an essential part of our sanctification in Jesus. Now we've really just read three parts of Psalm 119. It's the longest chapter in the Bible. The very middle chapter in the Bible is Psalm 118. The shortest chapter in the Psalms is Psalm 117. And then the longest is Psalm 119. There's a lot of stuff in Psalm 119. 
But it all revolves around celebrating the power and the authority of God's Word in the life of the believer. It's the longest chapter in the Bible celebrating the sufficiency and the supremacy of God's Word, the special place that God's Word holds in our life. Psalm 119 is an acrostic poem. Each eight verses begins with the next letter in the Hebrew alphabet. What we're looking at this morning are the Lamed and the Meme and the Noon sections, the LMN equivalents in the Hebrew alphabet for us. And here in LMN, the psalmist captures much of the essence of Psalm 119 and his gladness of what God has, or for what God has given us in the scriptures. I want to share with you this morning from these verses five benefits to reading, studying, and memorizing the Bible. And all of those are essential, reading, studying, and memorizing the Bible. Reading, studying, and memorizing the Bible. There are going to be sometimes some days when you don't want to read the Bible. Now, don't look spiritual at me. I, I know where you are. You know what you do when you don't want to do something that needs to be done? You just do it anyway. I run into this thing from time to time. I think that this is a distinctly American thing where we feel as though if we do something spiritual that we don't want to do, that we're being hypocritical, and the chief sin in our culture is hypocrisy. I've, I've had actual conversations with people where they said, I was going to come to church, but I didn't want to come to church, and I thought if I did come to church and I didn't want to come to church, I'd be a hypocrite about it. I'd be better off to stay at home. I, I, I want you to hear me that discipline. The spiritual disciplines and discipline in general is about doing the things that you don't want to do when they need to be done because you know that they must be done for your well-being and for the future. Amen. Being spiritually disciplined some days will be glad-hearted. You will come to the prayer closet with a smile on your face and a glow in your heart. And there will be some times when you come to the prayer closet with a frown on your face and very little enthusiasm about what the day holds. I'll let you in on a little secret. The times in my house when the devil is most present are the times when we sit down together as a family and open the Bible. My children will fight over who's going to answer the Bible study question. And I'm looking around thinking this is supposed to be spiritual. And the children are fighting over who's going to answer the question in the Bible study. Every impediment will present itself. Every obstacle will stand in the way. But on your worst day, listen, on your worst day, you pull yourself together up by your bootstraps and you do what needs to be done because it is good for your soul. Not every Bible study is going to be memorable. Not every Bible study is going to be this earth-breaking discovery of a new principle, but every Bible study is good for your soul. It's what you need. I don't remember every shower or bath that I've had over the course of my life, but I can tell you this, I needed every one of them. Bible study operates the same way. There is a sanctifying effect that happens when we begin to read God's Word. Reading, studying, and memorizing the Bible carries with it a number of benefits. Just a few of them are mentioned here in our passage. Look at verse 89. The psalmist says, Lord, your word is forever. It is firmly fixed in heaven. Aren't you glad for the enduring nature of God's word? 
The grass withers and its flower fades away, but the word of the Lord remains forever. The psalmist said, your word is fixed in heaven. It cannot be changed. It will not be changed. It is eternal in its nature. In verse 90, the psalmist said, your faithfulness is for all generations. You establish the earth and it stands firm. They stand in accordance with your judgments, for all things are your servants. God's word is his servant, doing what it is that God pleases his word do in the lives of those who give it attention. In verse 92, the Bible says, If your instruction had not been my delight, I would have died in my affliction. I will never forget your precepts, for you have given me life through them. Look back to verse 92 where the psalmist celebrates the sustaining power of the word in his life. What he's speaking of here is the benefit of spiritual strength. There is real spiritual strength that is gained from the reading or the study of God's word. The psalmist says again, if your instruction had not been my delight, I would have died in my affliction. What got me through the valley of the shadow of death, the psalmist says, was your word. My delight was in your word. It was my strength and my stay. It was the remembrance of a simple verse. It was the reminder that the sufferings and difficulties of the present age aren't fit to be compared with the glory that awaits us in Christ Jesus. It was the notion that all things are at work together for the good of those who love you, the call according to your purpose. It was the promise that your mercies are new every morning, that you are great in your faithfulness, that you will never leave me nor forsake me. That's what got me through the hardship, the challenge, and the difficulty in my life. Sometimes it's temptation that seeks to beset us. And it's the power of the Word of God that sees us through. I ought not have to beg that we would understand this principle together. We have observed this in our own experience, haven't we? You wake up tomorrow morning and you test the sermon. You get up and you commit yourself to reading a single chapter, just one chapter of God's Word, and see how the day goes. And then on Tuesday morning, you wake up determined to test the sermon again, and I dare you to go without that time in God's Word. And you see how the day goes. I don't know how it works, but in the kingdom economy, it always works out that way. We are better nourished, better ready, better prepared for the day. We walk in victory best when we are concentrated on the promises of God's word. There is spiritual strength through the word of God. Even Jesus tempted in the wilderness in a passage that's become a favorite of mine in Matthew 4 and then again in the Gospel of Mark just briefly. Jesus, tempted by Satan under the barrage of Satan's attack, responds with the word of God at each temptation. Turn these stones to bread and Jesus says, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Even when Satan distorts and twists the word of God, Jesus' response is with a proper word from the word of God. In its context, well understood, expressed with great wisdom. There is spiritual strength to be found in the word of God. Secondly, There is spiritual life to be found in the Word of God. Look back to verse number 93. I will never forget your precepts, for you have given me life through them. I am yours. Save me, for I have sought your precepts. The wicked hope to destroy me, but I contemplate your decrees. 
I've seen a limit to all perfection, but your command is without limit. There is spiritual life to be found in the Word of God. I, I want you to always keep in mind whether Brother Wade is the preacher or someone else is the preacher, that it's never the preaching that makes the word powerful. It's the word that makes the preaching powerful. That, 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 that the word of God is powerful to save. First Peter chapter 1 and verse 23, the Bible says, You have been born again through the living and enduring word of God. The mechanism, the channel through which God moves for our salvation is His Word. There is spiritual life to be found through the preaching of God's Word. When, when I was a, a newbie in seminary, seminarians were wrestling with what it looked like to communicate the gospel in a postmodern context. In other words, in a context where there was very little belief, if any belief, in absolute truth. And the encouragement seemed to be, at that particular point in time in, in history, which seems like a long time ago, but in reality not much has changed in the few years since then, the, the emphasis was on sharing our testimony because someone could not debate or argue with your personal experience. That was what we were encouraged to do. Now here's always my issue with that. Our testimony experiences can be somewhat subjective. Why, why would we divorce ourselves from the greatest power and authority we have, which is the Word of God? It is the Word of God that is powerful to save. We, we are always best when we stick to the public proclamation of God's Word. God's Word. God's Word. In God's Word, there is spiritual life to be found. Number three, I want you to note that there's godly wisdom to be found in the reading and study of God's Word. Look to verse number 97. The psalmist says, How I love your instruction. Do you love the Bible? I mean, do, do, you, do you really love the Bible? Is there anything in the world more exciting than opening your Bible and reading of timeless truths, making a new discovery? I, I don't mean imposing something from your imagination on the Scripture, but, but reading and learning something of, of who God is. Is there anything any more invigorating than that experience? The psalmist said, how I love your instruction. It is my meditation all day long. Your commands make me wiser than my enemies, for they're always with me. I have more insight than all my teachers because your decrees are my meditation. I understand more than the elders because I obey your precepts. I've kept my feet from every evil path to follow your word. I've not turned from your judgments, for you yourself have instructed me how sweet your word is to my taste, sweeter than honey in my mouth. I gain understanding from your precepts, therefore I I hate every false way. The psalmist says, even as a young man, your word has made me wiser than the elders. I've, I've become wise in a godly, biblical way because of giving myself time and attention to the reading and the study of, of your word. Now, this is an otherworldly wisdom. It's not like other systems of wisdom. 
other expressions of wisdom that you'll find in this world. And I want you to know, I want you to know that, that I, I think in our culture it is increasingly important that we give ourselves to the study of God's Word for the absorption of this kind of wisdom as the culture drifts further and further and further away from biblical principles and values. You can no longer expect that your children are just going to be touched by certain notions that were once uh, just a part of our experience as citizens of this great nation. That's no longer the case. There's a great deal that we take for granted in our country and our culture that is the product of our uh, coming under the authority of God's Word that, that are just going away. Can I give you a couple of uh, really simple things that we take for granted here that are not experienced in other parts of the world? Like, if you, if you go to another part of, of the world, like, I'm, I'm going to be in a couple of weeks on the other side of the world, and here's what I'll guarantee you. If someone tells me that they will be somewhere at 9 o'clock, I'd bet you a million bucks they won't be there at 9 o'clock. In our country, in our culture, influenced by Christian values, timeliness is something of importance. Some of y'all need to remember that in the workplace, by the way. And, and you 9 o'clock people need to remember that on Sunday morning, for that matter. we got the 9 o'clock crowd and the 9.15 crowd. And then the 9.30 crowd comes rolling in last. <laughs> Timeliness is a value in our culture, not because it's an American thing, but because it is a Christian thing that flows forth from the idea of being men and women of our word. Now, that's just a very simplistic thing. That Now, the sky's not going to fall if you're late for the next meeting. I'm not suggesting that. But I'm telling you, there's a lot about the way we live and breathe and move that's deeply influenced by the teaching of the Scripture. And, and, and those, the expectation that that's just going to be a thrust upon your children in their formative years is, is gone away. It's just not the reality anymore. Your, your children are being touched by and indoctrinated with issues like the LGBTQ movement in our culture. Whether you see that or not, if in very subtle ways they're being influenced in some very heavy, unchristian kinds of ways. The only way that you're going to combat that is by giving yourself vigilantly to the teaching of God's Word in the home. To instilling Christian principles in their life, keeping track of what's happening in their schoolwork, what they're studying, what they're learning, and then contrasting that with the wisdom of God's Word. But it will not happen if you sit passively by and allow that your children be discipled by the world while Jesus is calling their name. There is a godly wisdom to be found in the teaching of the Scripture. Not just for navigating the spiritual areas of our life, but for navigating every area of our lives. There's principle here for business. You businessmen, take up the study of the book of Proverbs and hear what Solomon, the great businessman, had to say about conducting business in the marketplace. Implement those principles in your personal and business life and watch how God blesses in remarkable ways. With regards to our work, regardless of what it is that we do, give yourself over to the teaching of Scripture with regards to work ethic and watch what God begins to do in your life. 
The Bible is not to be relegated to this small section of our life we've considered spiritual, but is to be the authority for all matters in our life, whether they be those things we typically deem to be spiritual or just the everyday mundane things. God has something to say about the way we live our life. Interpersonal relationship skills. There are people from time to time that I bump into, and they're just a little bit awkward socially. And there are certain times when we sit down with our kids and we talk about what's appropriate in this social setting and what's inappropriate in this social setting. When do you know what to say and when not to say it? And all children need lessons in that, by the way. The Bible has something to say about all of these matters. There is a godly wisdom to be found in the reading of God's words. God's commands have made the psalmist wiser than all his enemies, for they are always with him. I've said this a couple of times over the past few weeks, but I think it bears repeating here this morning. Rote memory is not fashionable in our culture. Even within education, there's not a lot of memorization because we have internet search engines. And if we want to know something, we type it into Google and we hit enter and we get five bazillion examples of places where this shows up or answers to the question that might be at hand. But I want you to know that God's word is not intended to operate that way in your life. The best way to absorb, to embrace, to be led by, directed by the word of God is to commit the word of God to memorization. When the psalmist says earlier in Psalm 119, I've hidden your word in my heart, he is speaking there of memorizing the scripture. And he says the product of that memorization is that I might not sin against you. The Spirit of God brings to mind those commands, those verses, those precepts, reminds us of their urgency and necessity in that given moment, and therefore keeps us from the temptation that might otherwise beset us. You need to read God's Word. You need to study God's Word. And you need to memorize God's Word. You need need to study God's Word and make sure you're rightly reading the Word of God as well. There's a real charge in the Scripture that we would rightly divide the Word of God. You You need to give enough time to the reading of God's Word that you're confident that it's not the product of your imagination that you're discerning from the text, but the truth conveyed by God Himself. There is spiritual strength in God's Word. There is spiritual life in God's Word. There is godly wisdom in God's Word. Number four, I want you to note that there is real biblical direction to be found in God's Word. In verse 101, the psalmist says, I've kept my feet from every evil path to follow your Word. Again, in verse 105, the Bible says, Your word is a lamp for my feet and a light on my path. I've solemnly sworn to keep your righteous judgment severely afflicted. Lord, help me. The psalmist says, I have been led by your word. I have gained biblical direction from your word. Now, there are decisions that you'll make in life. There are decisions that all of us must make in life about which there is no book, chapter, and verse to provide us with the answer. But what we do find in the Bible are are the precepts, the basic parameters, the guidelines by which we make all of the decisions that we make in our life. 
in the last year, in 2019, I, I, don't, I don't know if there's been a more pressing or burdensome decision that has had to be made in our personal life than the transition from our former ministry to coming here. Now, Leviticus 19 has nothing for Brother Wade moving to Longview Point. But the basic parameters, the principles, in order to make a, a biblical, insightful, wise decision are there in the Scripture. You begin to evaluate your motives. Are these godly motives? Do I want this transition for reasons that God would be well pleased in? Are there reasons for staying that, that God would perhaps hold me accountable for? Am I, am I undoing something that would bring judgment on me from God at some point in the future? Again, I don't have a hard and fast book, chapter, and verse, but I do have some basic parameters for making good, wise decisions in my life. I can't tell you the number of times I've run across this with young men and young women who are making decisions about who they were going to marry. And he comes and he says, I, I just believe that she's, she's the one for me. I was reading the Bible, and God said, I need to marry her. And the answer is always, unless her name is Grace, Mercy, or Peter. God didn't say that. But he did give you some basic parameters for making that decision, didn't he? Number one, is she a believer? Does she, does she love Jesus with a white, hot passion? Is she a faithful follower of Christ? There's some other things that ought to be in place too. You know, there's some other basic parameters. Are, are you driven to this for ungodly reasons? Or are you driven to this for godly reasons? Would God hold you accountable negatively for something about the decision that's being made? Are you prepared for this? Are you mature enough for this? Can you provide for this young lady? Can you love this young man for the rest of your life? Are you committed to him for good or for worse in sickness and in health? We've got basic framework for making these gray area decisions when we give ourselves over to the reading and the study of God's Word. Your lamp, the, your Word, the psalmist says, is a lamp for my feet and a light for my path. Biblical direction is found in the Bible. Now, there are a lot of people who want to blame God for the bad decisions that they make. God seems to always be telling somebody something. And if it, ain't, if it ain't in the Bible, God didn't tell you that. God won't ever tell you anything that is in conflict with the teaching of his word. And if anything you are told is outside of his word, it wasn't from God in the first place. Biblical direction is to be found in the word of God. You may not be able to cite book, chapter, and verse, but you ought to be able to cite book, chapter, and verse that gives support to the concepts or the precepts with which you are working in making the decision that has been made. Here's a fifth and final factor. Reading, studying, and memorizing the Bible helps to create in us a hunger for righteousness. In Psalm 106, the Bible says, I've solemnly sworn to keep your righteous judgments. And then in, in, in verse 107, sort of reverts back to past experience and then celebrates the way the Word of God brings him out. He says, I'm severely afflicted. Lord, give me life through your Word. Lord, please accept my willing offerings of praise. Teach me your judgments. My life is constantly in danger, yet I do not forget your instruction. 
The wicked have set a trap for me, but I've not wandered from your precepts. I have your decrees as a heritage forever. Indeed, they are the joy of my heart. I am resolved to obey your statutes to the very end. The psalmist is recounting a familiar experience. In the heat of the moment, under great duress, when he is afflicted and torn asunder, it's under those circumstances that we seem to have our greatest resolve to do what God would have for us to do. He closes 1.12 by saying, I am resolved to obey your statutes to the very end. God, I am going to do what you want me to do, come what may. I am resolved. Reading the Word of God creates in us a hunger and a thirst for righteousness that otherwise will not be there. When you spend time with God's Word, don't you notice that there's a fresh wave of conviction over sin? There are times when because of our callousness to the work of the Spirit, we become blind to certain spots in our life. We, be, we get familiar with, accustomed to, comfortable with the presence of certain sin. That sin will either drive you away from God's Word or it will drive you to God's Word. But you will not linger long with God's Word without some sense of conviction over what is undone in your life. Now I want to warn you especially those of you who are preachers or teachers of God's Word. There's a tendency among preachers and teachers, and it's a very dangerous tendency. The tendency is to begin to read the Bible for someone else. I think this is, in reality, a tendency of most believing people. And I say that based on my experience standing at the back of auditoriums like this one and hearing believers file out saying things like, Boy, I wish he would have been here today. When you're reading the Word of God, you need to be mindful of the fact that although the Bible was not written to you, it was written for you. And it may just be that God has something to say directly to you in the passage that is at hand. Your, your personal holiness ought to be in the fore of your thought every time you crack the Bible. You ought to be asking of God and asking of the text what would you have to be done differently in my life personally today? I can remember the early weeks and months and even years of walking with Jesus when I didn't know Genesis from Revelation. And the game plan for me, my pastor said, here's what you do. You just open the Bible every day and you read until you find the first command. And then spend that day trying to, trying to be faithful to that particular command. Can I tell you, those were some of the most exhilarating, exciting days in my walk with Jesus. I was learning something new every day. I was laboring under the power provided by the Spirit to answer faithfully the requirements of that passage. We ought to approach the Word of God in that manner every day of our life. You wake up tomorrow, read till you find a command, and then strive all day to do what that passage instructed you to do and watch what God begins to do in your life. Reading, studying, and memorizing God's Word is good. It is essential for us. It's an absolute necessity if we're to be found faithful walking with the Lord Jesus Christ. I think that even outside of the believing community, there's an awareness of the power of God's Word. I remember as a lost teenage boy, um, a certain night, 
thinking through things of eternal significance. Uh, not in my right mind by any stretch of the imagination, but, but looking to the Bible in that moment and, and opening the Bible and finding on, that, on the page open to haphazardly a word that seemed so fitting to where I was. Now, that's not a good way to read the Bible, by the way. In fact, that sort of sign-seeking which Jesus condemns roundly but there are times when God accommodates our weaknesses and speaks to fools like Wade in his weakness. And, and even, even, even then, as an unregenerate boy, recognizing that there is something altogether different about this book. Brothers and sisters, I want you to know today, on this side of the new birth, that there is something altogether different about this book. We have within our hands the very words of God. God has spoken. And because God has spoken, there is a special obligation that all mankind would listen. Now, we're going to talk for the next few weeks about spiritual disciplines. But I want you to know that no amount of discipline can set you right before God. It's only the new birth that can do that. The Word of God may be the mechanism for that. Prayer may be a mechanism for that. God may refine, sanctify, and shape you through the preaching, study, and application of certain disciplines, but it's the power of God's Spirit in the end. It is the death of Jesus Christ, His shed blood, His resurrection from the grave that resurrects us from our being dead in sins and trespasses. What a great way it'd be to begin 2020 as a new creation in Christ. If, if, if you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus, you don't love him, you don't love his word. And by the way, whether you love his word or not may be a good gauge as to whether you love Jesus or not. Jesus said again in John 8, if you love me, you'll love my word, you'll hear it, and you'll obey my word. If there's no love for the word of God in your life, it may just be that there's no love for Jesus in your life. This morning, I want you to know that the promise of the new birth that access to understanding the Scripture, the great gift of prayer, the fullness of the Spirit, is available to you by faith in Jesus. That if you'll look to heaven and say, Lord Jesus Christ, I'm a sinner in need of forgiveness, and trust in His Lordship that He is the only begotten Son of God, the Bible says that all who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. All who call on the name of Jesus shall be saved saved. God's Word said that, not Brother Wade. This morning, if you didn't trust your soul to Him, there is new life, there is forgiveness of sin, and there is the hope of eternity to be found in Christ and in Christ alone.